We're back for another On The Way episode. We're joined by Connor Hallway and my little brother, Ryan. Super excited to have Connor on here. We know he's a good dude because for those that were paying attention when I put it out there, we have recorded another episode with him and my little brother messed up the audio on it. So here we are back again, Snake Pit round two. But again, very excited to have Connor on here. I saw him last, I think for Halloween, he packed a, a sky bar up in West Hollywood. He's still making a Dragons movie. He's still leading Golden Deer. So welcome, sir. Thank you very much for having me. Now, I like to pride myself as a salesperson. And um, my strongest sales pitch are these biceps. I just want to show you guys those things before we got in. These don't just happen, brother. All right. You got to grind for this. Just figure out, I'm gonna, I let the viewers know. We're going to have to blur this out, man. This is too spicy right now. And it's a shame. You're lucky this is a video uh, podcast. So we, we, we'll let you shine. We'll let your light shine. So, so how talk to us about that last event, you know, at, at Halloween party in West Hollywood. How do you even go about organizing that? Because I left that extremely impressed. Ton of people there. Lots of nice people. Really well done. How do you even go in there and convince a hotel to let you do an event like that? We've actually had one since then. We did an 80s party. And um, I, I'm glad you guys came and saw the Sky Bar. Isn't that kind of how you pictured L.A. before moving out here? Definitely. Yeah, it just, I think we, you know, we've been in a bunch of different venues. Like this is like our fifth, sixth, seventh venue. I feel like we finally found a good home for our crowd where it's not like super bougie, but it's nice enough. Um, and, and just like everything, like we were talking last time, we've just been so fucking consistent with the events, dude. Every two weeks, every three weeks, there's a new snake pit. And just like everything else in business, I'm sure it's like the same thing you guys deal with if you're consistent, it's going to grow. So as I was saying, like we had 40, 50, 60 RSVPs. Actually, I'll have to check that actually. It might've been 80 RSVPs for our first event. And then, you know, the eighties party last week, we had 500. So just keeping consistent, it's just created all the momentum this year. And you guys know, if you don't have any investor financial backing, all you can really do is use your intangibles. And all, all I really have is like, a lot of enthusiasm and then I'm disciplined as fuck and we're consistent as fuck. There's no yeah, like, you have, you have a different level of hustle. like it's, it's automatic. I know as soon as I attend your event, I've attended, I think two or three at this point, you're going to always send a follow-up text. You're going to do a LinkedIn post. You're going to do some IG posts. You're going to share a folder with all the event pictures. You're going to run out stuff and it's immediate. It's not, let me sit on this for a week. It's going to put co connections together right away. That's a differentiator, right? A lot of people, they, they think the event at the end of it, like you got to clean it up. Everyone goes home. Uh, no, I feel like that's about the halfway point for you. What, what did you say that first time to, to, to convince them that like, it was worth their time? Like, did you have to pay him up front or, or anything like that? He, he, knowing Connor, he probably still hasn't asked him for permission to be up there. <laughs> um, essentially... We, uh, I already had a resume of events. So I had already done a bunch at this nice ass spot in Beverly Hills called 60. And just like building any sort of resume, like once you, you're associated with kind of a nice venue, maybe a slightly nicer venue might say yes. How these venues normally work though, is like they'll, they have their bread and butter nights. Like in LA, it's actually Thursday night. I'm sure you guys know Thursday's huge, Saturday's huge, but 
Friday's not as popular. So my pitch was like, hey, look, dude, no matter what I'm going to get, and this was at the time, I'm going to at least get 150 people through your door um, on a night where you guys aren't generating any other business. And my the deal that really works with them is I don't close the event off from the public. So I will keep a couple hours where all of our people can come in and enjoy themselves within the crowd, but then it will open back up to the public because I don't mind bringing in more people. Um, so that doesn't like segregate any of the, the normal business they would have. It's just extra revenue for their spot. seems like a massive win-win. I mean, that's like an, if I'm them, it's a no brainer as long as you seem like a sane person. That's, that seems like the only check that you have to pass, right? It's like, okay, this person seems like they're not going to bring, you know, a bunch of nut nut jobs to like, you know, my hotel or something. But obviously you have the track record, which goes a long way. I was going to say, people have to pull up for it to be legit. Otherwise he's never allowed to do it again. Everyone's a nut job in LA. They expect that. True. That's, that's a valid point. But I guess, for yeah, sure. I'm, sure, I'm, I'm sure people promise all the time to these hotels, like I'm bringing 150 and then they bring in 15. Right. So yeah, you get, you got to come with some substance there. For sure. And I'll tell you guys, like, you when you guys i'm sure have you thrown an eq event yet we, we've thrown it we've thrown events um but yeah that's that's come up a bunch and we obviously are in the business of talking to event hosts and it's always like how can i grow this event list like how can i get more people to show up like my you know how, how do you think about those kinds of things like i guess bringing the general public of these hotels probably helpful right it's more people seeing your brand and probably ask the question what is snake pick maybe i should look into this do you think I'll about you growth that explicitly? I mean, dude, I'm just in, I'm in movie mode. So I'm just figuring out how do I like leverage all the momentum from the events to finish the movie. And uh, I mean, the snake pits just turn into something else, dude. It's like I never it was never my goal to have like a, a relevant event brand out here. But it's just happened that way. I just wanted to do this so I could help people out, meet people and then get my movie off the ground. Um I'll tell you two things I have not done, which I think would really contribute to growth. And it's harder than you think. Getting celebrities, like real A-list celebrities at an event, I think will totally elevate the brand. And I'm Mr. Fucking Hustle Bustle Networker. It's actually much harder than you think to have an A-list celebrity say, all right, you know, I'll walk out into the Mondrian tonight and go to this event. You like really got to incentivize someone or you really got to like do some favors for somebody. Um, that's one thing I think would help a lot. And, and, you know, I know a couple of other organizers out here who really push Facebook and Instagram ads. I have never done that, but apparently it, it works really well. I could see that. Yeah. Those algorithms are absolute machines, but you did mention the movie and I think that's a good transition point because we know that's, you know, a lot of your energy is going into, you know, the movie itself. Where are we at with the movie? Give us again, a high level overview. What's the movie about? What's, what's the goal here? What does success look like? Okay. So the guy you're looking at is actually the lead of the movie. And um, he looks even more handsome in the movie. Body fat was like 7%. He was slinging lines. He was on it the whole time. Uh, long story short, dude, I told you guys, I have this delusional goal and I have my whole life of producing a Marvel movie and being in a Marvel movie. That's my North Star. It's why I came out to LA in the first place. And I'm cool with the journey of having to hustle my way to get there. That's fucking fine with me. I, when we built this fucking film up, I wanted to show studios and people who make films, look, dude, 
we did this shit with nothing, bro, with just raw talent and hustle. So as you guys know, because thank you, Aaron, for donating, we crowdfunded the entire film. We shot in August what's going to end up being a 12 to 15 minute proof of concept with real deal VFX and real deal dragons. Did you guys see the teaser? Fire. Yeah. Yeah. You showed us the teaser. It was great. That's the real sales pitch here. Cause it's like, all right, if we want to go make bigger movies, we have to prove to people with money, look, we can go make a movie that looks like $20 million for $2 million. That's really the sales pitch. Like we are resourceful producers. Um, with the project right now, our biggest hurdle, which we posted about online is our render times. We have one super state-of-the-art computer cooking out files and then two slightly weaker computers. The problem, the limitations of our budget is on a studio film, you'd have a hundred of the best computers of all times processing these files. We just have one or two computers doing it. So today I will know by the end of the day, what the realistic timeline of the actual film being done is. In my mind, I would like to go up to that fucking castle, rent it out and premiere it on January 19th. That's what's, what's on my brain. Um, but we'll know today of like, how long are these renders going to take? So I'm an idiot. So explain it to me like I'm five and hopefully a couple of our viewers are idiots because they probably listen to me. So they have to be. Um, what is rendering? Like, what do you mean? Is it because it has to fit like a widescreen format? Like, what is what is it doing on these computers? I don't get that. Let, let's uh, let me give you a, an example. You know, when you're making a contract for EQ and you make it in Photoshop or you make it in, let's say, Microsoft Word and you click command save. So that command save, that's technically a rendering process. The file is getting made. It's a very small file, so it takes half a millisecond. Gotcha. Now imagine your Microsoft Word document for that contract is like 575,000 pages long. And you click save, it would take much longer for that to be created. That's essentially what's happening with our movie. Our files are so big, so when we click save, it takes a really long time. That's a great explanation. No, I love that. Thank you for putting that in my world, and I think I'm tracking now. Where would you even learn this? It's kind of on the flyer. Uh, dude, I mean, I miscalculated how much post-production, how long it was going to be. I did. You know, I'm like, bro, 15-minute movie, like, eight-minute movie. Like, there's no way this shit's going to take longer than, like, two months. Like, it's really small. You guys know Jake the Shooter. What did he, he added some music video in two days. Um, I miscalculated this the length of post-production. And dude, I'm, everything's self-taught. So like, I didn't go to like film school. I'm just kind of learning as I go, honestly. That's Talk great. us through the event tonight, because for those that are unaware, I think you're having a winter dinner, correct? Indeed, brethren. What's that all about? Did you guys do dinners when you were raising money for EQ? We would try to do networking events, like try to meet in person as much as possible. Like these deals get closed over, you know, handshakes and coffees and lunches rather than Zooms. It's really hard. Today's day and age, no one wants to really meet in person because it's just easier to like hop on a computer. Talk about that all the time. But yeah, interesting. Interested to hear how it is in your world. If it's, if it's the same. It, it does go such a long way though. Seeing people in person, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh yeah. Like, weren't you guys glad you were at the event? You got to dab suede up. Yeah. It goes the longest yeah. way, man. The in-person touch point is just like so big. And I was telling someone the other day, I'm like in LA, it feels like it's 
as transactional as it ever has been. Like if it's even a question of like whether someone has time to meet up for a coffee or lunch, it's like, meh, let's just do a Zoom or let's just do Google Meet, right? I don't know. Maybe that's just on, on my end and kind of the startup venture capital, whatever world, but maybe it's different in media and film. What, what are you saying on your end? Uh, I'll tell you my goal is um, I'll work with financial advisors out here sometimes because I learned that a lot of these guys will get budgets from their companies to go get new prospects and leads. So like, for instance, let's say, you know, someone at Northwestern Mutual, Northwestern Mutual will say, hey, advisor, here's 5,000 bucks this month for you to go market yourself. So I'd, I'll reach out to financial advisors and I'll say, look, I already know a ton of rich people out here because I throw events. Can you come in, pay for a dinner, and then I'll put all the people in the seats for you. And then I'll also coordinate with the venue. So that's, that's essentially what we're doing tonight. We have a financial advisor who's paying for the whole thing. And I'm bringing a bunch of successful people to the dinner. Um, I, I'm going to express to people tonight, like, hey, look, we need like probably 30K more to market this project the right way. Hopefully I close something. But if not, either way, 12 new rich people will meet each other and they'll hopefully start to build with each other. Huge. I love that. Genius. Like really piecing the puzzle pieces together there um, for everyone. It's a win for everyone involved. So that's, that's awesome. And when you say marketing, like how do you market a movie that's bootstrapped like this the right way? Like in your, in your ideal world, what does that look like? Because to me, you're amazing in marketing. I, I see this everywhere I look. I just think, look, I'm not a hyper celebrity or a super celebrity. And it's not like I have a massive celebrity brand. So I think the only thing you can do at this level with no massive investment is like really let people in on your story. I think you guys care more about Conrad because you know who I am and kind of what I come from as opposed to the actual like artistic substance of the film. Am I right? Or. Well, yeah, we, we just want to see you win. I, I don't know what fits under that umbrella, but we'll be fans of the movie regardless. I, I would say if that answers your question. I started about, I started off supporting it, even if I had never even seen the movie, even if it had been trash because you were behind it. Like I, I bet on people. Like that, that's bigger to me than anything else is who, who's behind an idea, who's behind a concept. And then I've actually seen the clips and seen your progress. And now I'm excited about the movie. So it's actually transition. I believed in you at first and then you exceeded my expectations. And I'm not just hyping you up to hype you up. Like everything you've done has been actually incredible. So now I think that the movie is going to do very, very well. So now when I tell people about it, I'm actually talking to them about the movie more so than you. Well, thank you very much again for boosting my ego. You guys, you care, Donna boys do a good job with that. Um, well, it's a truth. It's a good... The movie looks incredible. Thank you. Um, dude, it's fire. The movie is fucking fire. Like with, especially since you guys know what we had to make it. Um, I, I know it's like foreign for a lot of people in the movie world, like, but it requires a lot of money to make something good. Keep it like neighborhood ballpark, whatever you're comfortable sharing. What What is the neighborhood? Cost time for a fifteen minute movie. We raised sixty seven and I put my own money in, so it's probably close to eighty K. And gotcha. How long? And that's and guys, months. that's one shot. That's one shot in a Marvel movie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's it. There are thousands of shots in a Marvel movie. That's one shot. Yeah. No, that's insane. Christopher Nolan um, probably spends that on one lunch order for his sets. Yeah.
I mean, dude, the, the amount of money that goes into films is ridiculous. So what, what's the outcome? Like we talk a lot on this about business things. Like for us, especially if you're in venture, you're something called pre-seed, then your seed, and then maybe series A. And one day the, the big home run is potentially IPOing, right? Like going public or getting acquired. How does it work in the movie world? Like movie startup, like talk to us, like you bootstrap it and then you try to get it to Sundance um, or you try to get picked up by a major studio or Netflix gives you a call, all the above. Like what, what's your goals here? Like what, what would be the dream outcome for, we got another $50,000, we finished the 15 minute clip. It's beautiful. And there's a lot of hype around this thing. This is my goal. Um, finish the film, then do that massive premiere in the castle. Because everyone who's seen the hustle from Boston, it will be like, wow, that's like a nice completion to the story. They drove across the country to go make a movie. They finished it. And now they're in a castle in the Hollywood Hills. I know you guys have been in the Hollywood Hills, so it's not that big of a deal. But people back home still think it's like the coolest thing in the fucking world. From there, once the project is done, I am really going to lean on our movie star to figure out next steps with the, pro the project. Because he knows more about this shit than I do. And um, he will definitely be able to get more funding than I will because I'm just a hustler. And this is a guy who's made $1 billion at the box office. So, so you don't have to, of course, we won't reveal the, the star here, but speaking in, you know, anonymous terms, how did you convince him to be part of this? Like, what was the pitch? Like, obviously he has options uh, of what to do with his time is probably post, um, you know, he's good on money, right? So like, what was the, what was the pitch and why ultimately do you think he decided to say yes? Yo, my sales pitch was fire that day. I can't even hold you, bro. You, <laughs> All right. you guys know, like you have some times where you're just not hitting it, but you have one day where you're just fucking feeling it. Um, oh, yeah. that, that kind of happened that day, essentially. And look, I will announce the star in the next, I'm hoping the next month, so all your viewers will know, I don't mean to speak in tongues here, but I'm just, I haven't gotten a go ahead to say that it's cool for me to say, but no, you're anyway, good. You're good. Uh, one, I think we got lucky with the SAG strike because no one was really actively working on shit. And this was a completely independent project. So I think people were naturally bored at the time. Like, Oh fuck. Cool. And then here comes across this pitch. Like, Hey dude, do you want to come do the voice of a drag? A lot of these big actors and comedians, they don't get offers like that. They'll get offers like to be in like, you know, a drama or a comedy or a horror because those are easy to produce. So this was like a novel idea, I think, for most people. And um, that's two. Three, I really told him like, look, I made a movie in Boston before I came here. Guys from Boston. And I showed him the clip of the, the comet coming in and striking this famous gas tank. And he's like, dude, when I started my comedy career, I started like right around that area. That's awesome. And then the fourth thing is we do have Cyrus Voris, who's the creator of Kung Fu Panda, kind of acting like a fairy godfather in the process. And this guy loves Kung Fu Panda. So I think that was kind of the final thing that was like, all right, I'll give these kids a shot. Yeah, because what was it? Jack Black was in Kung Fu Panda. And then I think I'm, I'm old. I, I told you guys at the start how old I am. But like even Aladdin growing up, like Robin Williams was a genie. Like it's kind of cool to voice over like a unique character. So you're right. Like when that opportunity comes up, these guys are creatives at heart. I'm assuming a good pitch and maybe the right intro and, and you can do some magic. Speak to that though, because 
people think Hollywood, I'm going to walk down the street and Tom Cruise is going to come out and then The Rock's going to come out. They might, but it's very difficult to have a serious conversation with them. How were you introduced to this person without naming even maybe intermediaries? Like, how did you even get the platform to talk to them about your movie? Yeah, I can't even hold you. I literally shot the agent an email. There wasn't like a, a sick connection or anything. No, that's um, fire. I, the, I love that. Shot the, shot the agent an email and then I just followed up a bunch and um, we had the clip of one of our dragons done. So they saw it and they're like, all right, this dude's not just full of shit. This looks like some legit CGI. Um, I'll, I'll tell you guys though, I am learning in this process, like the power of celebrity in selling stuff dude it's like to producers and studios out here it's everything it's like the first piece of every equation is like who are we getting in this project who is it because we know they're going to make us money yeah it de-risks the entire thing right it's like mm -hmm. well that just put a floor on how many views this is going to get or how many you know people are showing up at the at the box office just if they're looking at it from a numbers perspective someone that has I don't know, 10 million on Instagram being a part of it. It's just like, all right, well, my floor just, you know, my downside just got capped at, I don't know, I'm not losing all my money at this point. It's not 100% downside anymore. At least it's 50%, right? And so that, that equation becomes a little bit more digestible. So that's interesting that you're seeing it like play out live because I'm sure, I'm sure the transition conversations got much easier before and after getting this guy on board. They're not seamless, but they've gotten easier. Absolutely. And as I, I was saying, I'm really trying to get to the point where I can market this because it will change the trajectory of the project. I just need to make sure I do it the right way. Have you guys done any influencer marketing yet with EQ? Yes. And it has not gone well. <laughs> I don't mind. I don't we mind sharing that. And I think the reason is because a lot of these people think that the influencer is getting paid to show something that's trash. So you have to find an influencer who actually believes in what you're doing and will speak to it beyond just a surface level. And I believe you have that with some of the people who have bought in with you because they're not clearly not doing it for money when these guys could go get tens of millions of dollars on probably other projects for their time. So our downfall was going to girls with millions of followers that would throw one link out. And then the next day they're pushing a makeup line and we were wondering why it didn't convert. And it's because they don't even care. They don't even use the product. So that was my takeaway is only rock with people that rock with you, right? Like don't try to force people into promoting something that they don't even use. You guys went the baddie route. You just like, you hired every baddie to promote EQ. No, I mean, we had guys, we had girls, we had everything, but we went for clout, right? Like we went for who had the most followers versus who actually had a meaningful audience. And something I tell Ryan, and maybe you feel the same way, it's, I'd rather have a smaller influencer that has a cult following that believes and listens to everything that they're being told by this influencer than someone that has no depth in their audience, right? Like just has a million likes because they post bikini pictures, but no one actually trusts them for buying supplements or something. For sure. There is something socially, and that's something I've learned in LA and Ryan, you can probably speak to this. You do, when you see someone's Instagram, you do look at their followers and you're like, okay, maybe they have some sort of legitimacy, but I, I think the internet is getting to a place where like they they have a bullshit filter now. You guys can always kind of tell if someone's a little full of shit. And um, I think that's that's like kind of what you're talking about. It's like you don't necessarily need 150,000 followers because you put a link out and you might sell $2 worth of product as opposed to someone with 500 followers, but 500 people who really fucking trust them. Right? 
Yep. I, yep. No, I would that's, say that's the same exactly thing with, right. your, with your movie. If you got 500 Conrad diehards, that's going to go further than 5,000 random seeing your movie and not wanting to tell people about it. Right. Like I'd rather have that because they'll, they'll go advocate for you. They'll be telling everyone, yo, you got to check out Connor's new film. You got to be seeing this. They'll be your salespeople for you. So that's something that we learned at EQ is like, go find people that are deep into sports and music. Their fans actually listen to them about concerts and let's go work with them. I think to your point though, like, like very tactically, I have now put up filters before and after EQ, right? I used to see someone has 10K or 50K or 100K and just assume that, you know, they organically got there or whatever. Like it's real. Let's, let's just make it very simple. It's real versus it's, it's cap. It's, it's fake. Right. Um, but for us, it's like, I've seen audience growth on our end, on our own accounts. I've kind of seen how the, the sausage is made. And for me now it's like, okay, an easy test is one, like, do you, do you show the amount of likes that you get on things? Right. If it says, and others, that's kind of my first, it's not, a, not a red flag. It's a yellow flag. Right. I get, I get why people wouldn't want to show that or expose that Two, I'm like, then clicking into just your average post. And if I can scroll within 10 seconds and see the bottom of the likes list, and I could probably count it on, you know, hands and feet, and you're getting less likes than my personal account when I have a thousand followers and you have a hundred K, then I'm like, okay, now that's a red flag. Then I'll go over to like the reels, right? And I'll see, okay, how many, how many views are we getting on all these videos? How many comments are on these? Okay, if it's two comments and it's got a million views, engagement's horrible, right? And so these are these are metrics that we judge ourselves on at EQ. So it's like helped me filter out what's real from what's fake. And then a step further is like looking into the comments and half of them are sell your event on bostonevents.dm.whatever, right? And it's just like, yeah. all right, well, none of this is real, right? This is literally, I just bought 50,000 followers and and I get my views and it's a vanity metric. So, I mean, that's been a very big part of this. And the, the first time you see it, uh, or once you see it, you can't unsee it. I think that's the crazy part about it. And it's been helpful All right, calm us. down, man. This guy's got a dinner tonight. We're going to be missing everything. We're going to be missing Thanksgiving. He's on, he's on a rant now. No, about, I, I, engagement. Let me ask you a question. How do you guys correlate someone's TikTok following to their Instagram following? And how do you know if someone's legit based on the correlation between the two? And the way that we type, try to think about it is what, what I've learned from people on our team, especially in the TikTok realm, is like your following matters less because it's just like transactional. Like every new video just kind of goes to a new audience and gets served by the algorithm, like independent of your following. So you could have millions of followers, but then get 215 views on like a video. And that's just how it works versus like YouTube or, or Instagram, where it's more off of your existing base. But I think the... Like the core of everything that we're talking about with like uh, influencer marketing comes down to how much action are they actually getting out of their views, followers, whatever. And so whether that's download an app or buy a product or whatever you want them to do, sign up for an account, like that's the substance that we judge everything on now. So it's like, it's cool that you have actually 500 followers. I don't really care if those 500 followers mean that we're going to get 500 EQ signups, that's actually fantastic because it's going to cost us less than going to someone with a million followers who's going to get us the same 500 signups. So for us, it's all about the conversion to like the core action that we're looking for.
I'm sure you know this now, Aaron, too, out here. There are a bunch of behind-the-scenes role players that have a lot of influence in Los Angeles that aren't super public online. You probably started to see that, right? In a major way. Some of the best people that I've worked with are very, very quiet, private profiles. They don't need any clout, but they're the movers and shakers. We're fortunate to have a few in our network, um, and they move the needle more than anything. Uh, I don't even mind since we're being vulnerable. Like We've had a couple of videos on our EQ pages due to amazing editing and our marketing team that have amassed probably 10 million plus views. That was really, really cool. It was all organic. We didn't fake that. We're not even smart enough probably to fake it, Ryan, and I don't know how to, but it didn't necessarily convert. It was just people looking at it for entertainment value. Then we've had some smaller names that have been advocates for us just push it and promote it in their own networks, and we've seen instant results. So yeah, to your to your point, like there's some there's some people that just don't overly want to be in the limelight that that are doing that real heavy lifting out in LA. Yeah, for sure. And and I'll tell you guys, I I think what's important out here, you know, I've just been in fucking hustle mode for a year and a half now. But and uh, truthfully, I fucked up recently. I made a pretty big mistake recently. But um, I think developing real trust with people in LA is very important. And it just takes time, dude. Like it all takes fucking time and like doing the right thing over and over and over again. Um, but I have found people have started to trust me because I don't lie. I love that you owned up your mistakes. Not enough people do that. That's, that's a testament to someone that understands right and wrong and will learn from it. We're going to wrap it up because I know you got a lot of stuff going on tonight. I can guarantee you I know what he's going to be wearing because my man, my man is going to be in costume, I hope, right? I might wear the turtleneck. I know that's what you're thinking. Oh, no. I thought, I thought we were wearing the Conrad suit. No, bro. This is at like the Bel Air Hotel. This is like a five-star restaurant. This is a What the fuck? I'd be so LA, man. You got to roll in there. Roll in there with the sword, dude. Same sickness. Eating risotto in the Conrad outfit. Man, hey, you'd get funded real quick. Someone would pay attention to you. No, I love that. Now the turtleneck. But uh, yeah, let, leave us with something that you're excited about for this upcoming week, exciting month, and maybe a mantra that you're kind of going by right now. Well, one, thank you guys again for having me. I hope the audio is clean this time. I, I've produced 500 podcasts, so I know it's just like it's a motherfucker sometimes. You probably were listening back to the footage. You're like, fuck, dude. Um, it hurt. This is what's going through my mind right now is... Um, you can only lose if you quit. So you got to just keep fucking hammering, dude. And it's hard in life as a man is fucking hard and trying to like live out your potential is really hard, but that's the game. You only really lose if you quit. So just keep fucking hammering them. It's win. Hallway, we appreciate you, man. We'll see you soon. Thank you guys.